It's Wednesday, October 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool Options and Pro Canada, Jim Gillies. Happy Wednesday, gents. Happy Wednesday, Chris. Happy, Thank you. Happy Back to the Future today. October 21st, 2015. I'm disappointed no one is wearing the clothing that the gang of youths chasing Marty McFly were wearing in Back to the Future 2. We'll look, get to look that it up. We'll, look it we'll up. get to that. Yeah, Don't worry. I'm, I'm we're a little get sad to that, that I came into the ahead. office today. Long-time listeners to the show know that, if anything, <laughs> we're going to talk about Back to the Future today. Um, but uh, we do have some earnings to get to, so let's let's dig in. Chipotle's third quarter revenue up more than 12%, but same-store sales just 2.6%. And maybe it's just because they're suffering from great expectations. Because let's face it, Bill, if McDonald's was putting up comps of 2.5%, they'd be throwing a parade over there. But for Chipotle, the stock's down more than 6%. Yeah, well, McDonald's rightfully is not valued in the same way that Chipotle is. This is a company that was putting up uh, comps in the teens this time last year. That in part is because they had uh, put through a price increase, which was effective. Everybody just kept eating there and eating uh, more expensive meals. And they haven't put a price increase uh, since. And a couple things. One, uh, when you, the comps are going from the teens, I think they were four some percent last quarter, two percent mm-hmm. something this quarter, and they've indicated that October is less than that and has been very bumpy. People start projecting very different numbers forward for the company than they were projecting, you know, when it was growing uh, comps by 19% or something like that. So, understandable that it's taking a breather. The stock has done very well every time you have to readjust rather significant growth assumptions, uh, the the stock price is going to take a break. Yeah, Wall Street doesn't like to see growth stocks that have slowing growth. No, I'm I'm not terribly weirded out though. As Bill said, it was it was a very I guess the parlance is difficult comp. Last year when they rose, what Tough I think it was comps, seven, eighteen percent. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the definition of a difficult comp, right? So uh, two point six, two point eight this quarter. You know that's that's okay. And like you said, it's it's if McDonald's was doing it or any number of other companies were doing it, we'd be uh, we'd be dancing in the streets. Uh, I liked a lot of what was in the report as a as a long term. Uh, a long-term owner of Chipotle, I own it myself. A long-term investor in the company. Uh, nothing in this report is going to have me scared to to sell my shares. You know, I like the fact that the you know the the food costs were down about 130 basis points. Um, so uh, that that's good. Lower costs is good. Uh, they had their issue with their um, their long-held food with integrity program last year. The uh, their pork. They weren't able to get as much pork as they wanted for their restaurants, so they they let the carnitas slide, uh, and that's mainly been returned back to the stores. Uh, they were saying that took off about a hundred or two hundred basis points off the same store sales numbers. There's a lot of good stuff in here, and if you've got you know the the, the oft repeated, somewhat you know maybe almost verging on cliche territory of you know the five to ten year time horizon, this is a this is a blip. Yeah, I, I think that with the uh, solution to the Carnitas problem. I don't know. They needed some uh, disintermediation there to get uh, the supply chain worked out, and that's done. And 90% of the stores now have uh, 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 Carnitas, which are very popular, 100% by the end of this quarter. So, you know, I, th- I think going forward, it's the same old store. Numbers like 19% comps are impossible to keep forever. Uh, get used to something closer to the low single digits. 
Valiant Pharmaceuticals shares down around 30% today after Citron Research issued a short report alleging fraud. And the phrase that paid, I haven't read the report, but having read a story about the report, I can tell you right now, the phrase that pays is when um, Citron refers to Valiant as Enron Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. That's not good. It's a little histrionic, perhaps. It, sure, um, maybe it is, but... <laughs> or the or the but it's certainly having the material effect of sending the stock straight down. Sure, and you've got you know uh, uh, you've got the histrionics in the report. You've got a lot of um, splashy graphics and kind of question marks going on. The tertiary issue is there'll always be you know multiple exclamation marks after every. I have the read the report obviously, and it's not that they haven't uncovered something that is potentially damaging here. Um, but it's the uh, the style of the report just it just irks me because the way it's written up it it uh, it doesn't come across as a great uh, credibility builder. the The thing about Valiant is there's been a lot of people who have said this is who have raised a lot of questions about the business model about what their organic growth rates truly are. Uh, have been making claims of a lot of obscuring of organic growth rates of you know are we actually selling like are are they selling what they say they're selling? They're not producing cash. They're debt fueling their growth, and now the the big push from the report is they basically been channel stuffing and hiding hiding inventory in in like these offset pharmacies, such so they can so they can essentially bill fake revenue to keep the growth train going. If that's true, then and uh, and it hasn't been proven yet. But if it is true, and if if the smoking gun truly is there, that this will join a long line of companies who have been touted as the quote largest market cap in Canada, to have subsequently fallen off that uh, particular perch. So before this, you had Research in Motion, now BlackBerry. Uh, you had Potash Corp of Canada, that was a commodity bubble, and uh, the late unlamented Nortel Networks were all at one time the largest company in Canada, now brought back to earth. You're saying that's the title that businesses should not be seeking in Canada. You know, I it's. Nothing. No signal is truly ever perfect, but I remember seeing those headlines in July or August of this year and going like, "Oh, that's just <laughs> no." Short the Canadian largest cap. Short is, uh, is that, that's it, a trade unless theory. it's a bank. Unless it's a bank. Well, because the banks in Canada are so huge and so well capitalized and largely conservative. Not frauds, you claim? Not frauds that I'm aware of. I yeah. mean. Say what you want tell, about value. Tell Citron gets their claws into <laughs> but them. But don't you dare lay a finger on Scotiabank and, hey. and their Scotiabank actually right now. Scotiabank right now is trading at a book multiple of roughly what it traded at during the credit crisis, and and that's been a very quiet story. And it's like, oh, uh, I think the obstacles Scotiabank faced during the credit crisis are probably greater than whatever issues the investing public is looking at Scotiabank today, which probably has to do with Canadian housing being richly valued. So, just saying, might might be a place to look. All right, let's move on to vehicles, because there's a lot of vehicle news today. Um, yesterday, we talked about Harley-Davidson. Uh, today, it's uh, Polaris Industries, which is down around 11%. Uh, this is the, what, the snowmobile maker, yes? Uh, among other things, yes, so off-road you're just going vehicles, snowmobiles for this Canadian's heart, right? Like that's we're going. we're going to bring it around the to t- that. Okay. Let's just say the timing worked out well. The sure. Polaris is reporting when you were in the studio, <laughs> but Bill, you looked at the report. Uh, How bad is it? it? The report is not bad. Uh, they they beat earnings estimates and they beat revenue forecasts and they maintained guidance. They narrowed guidance a little bit and took the 
sort of top and bottom parts out of it, but the the midpoint of the guidance is right where analysts were going into the quarter. So it's I think getting a little bit of the rebound of, of Harley. Uh, there are real competitive issues in the motorcycle space, although wow, their motorcycle uh, division at Polaris is growing tremendously. Uh, the competition comes from the Japanese and, and German manufacturers who are working off of very favorable uh, currency movements. And that is just, as I'm sure you covered yesterday uh, regarding Harley, decimating Harley at the moment. And Polaris is more diversified. Uh, it's It's got some advantages in that it doesn't have to do its manufacturing in the country the way Harley does. Harley kind of needs to do that to maintain its brand, to be the American produced brand that it is, and so Polaris can offshore some of its manufacturing. Uh, also, uh, you know, there just aren't the same sort of competitors in the snowmobile space uh, from um, Japan and, and, and Europe that there are in the motorcycle space. I don't know as much about snowmobiles. I, mean, I don't even have one, Jim, you're Canadian. You probably I have, as have many, several. I have as many as you have. <laughs> but I mean, I just, why was it like taken away? Did, were you not making your payments on it? <laughs> yeah, what, exactly. What's going on? Uh, it's never something I got got into. I'd much rather have. I mean, you don't need one other, during like July. No, right? Or so, the eleven, the, the eleven other months of right, crushing I mean, bone, bone crushing winter. Yeah. Now I I live at a lo- pretty low latitude, so it's you know we we've actually got summer at least four months a year. There you go. The the strong U.S. dollar is a theme we've been hearing for a while, and I'm sure we're going to hear it throughout this earnings season. And I'm curious if you guys, in your day-to-day work as analysts, are starting to build that in when you're looking at companies and thinking about, okay, what should we... I know we're looking to invest for the long term, but when you're looking out, okay, over the next six months, are you starting to do that with basically any U.S.-based company? Well, I think that the movement shouldn't be considered uh, temporary in the sense that the uh, favorable movements for the dollar in getting uh, cheaper, in that sense of favorable, and that was favorable for a number of U.S. companies uh, against emerging market currencies, that was a long, long trend, which is only recently beginning begun to reverse, and it has been very tough for the emerging markets. But uh, it's it has a long way potentially to go. So uh, I, I think they're making currency predictions is tough business and not something that generally the analysts in this company try to do. Uh, but it's a very powerful uh, factor in you know in the math of, of earnings, and you see that at earnings season. Uh, and there's there's only so much that the companies can do about it. In the fund that we run, uh, that that is domestic, small and mid cap, we're a lot less exposed to that. While the companies are entirely located in the U.S. and they they don't have the same comp- competitive issues that you know a global producer is going to have, uh, so that that makes some of these uh, movements easier to bear. But uh, I don't know, Jim, what are you doing with currency these days? This this is real for me at least. On the aside from the fact I live in Canada and a lot of my investing is done in U.S. dollars, so there's always that kind of at least the U.S. Canadian exchange rate going on. But uh, in Pro Canada, which we launched uh, this past June, 
you know, I kind of staked out early on that, you know, predicting a currency move, predicting currency moves, any currency moves is largely a fool's game. No, no pun intended, small f on the fool. Uh, and that we're not going to do it. It's, it's too hard. You're going to be wrong. And so it's basically if we are taking the stance of a longer, uh, a longer term investor, which is what we're trying to do in pro, um, that you know we are going to be largely currency agnostic, and if we see an opportunity, we're going to buy it. And just you know, I've I've been with the fool for 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 ten years now, and when I start and for a long lot of, lot of that time, I was paid in U.S. dollars, but living in Canadian dollars. And so when I started, I think the the dollar is about eighty five cents. Uh, One dollar Canadian would buy eighty five U.S. And then over the years, it went up as high as a dollar ten, less awesome. Went as low as about seventy cents, more awesome. And now today it's about 77 cents, I think. You know, you, you couldn't have predicted any of it. You just have to live as if, you know what, it's going to move around. The U.S. dollar will weaken against the currency sometime. It will strengthen against it. And you just you, you can't predict it. So if you can't predict something with any sort of even approaching accuracy, why would you want to play the game? Well, companies can hedge. They and, can hedge, and what they have or have not done uh, makes a big difference. In, it it in can if if there's a, like a lot of the uh, a lot of the Canadian oil and gas companies uh, got exposed on the way up if they weren't hedged, and they've now been exposed again if they were uh, or as the hedges are roll, now rolling off. Yeah. So, but when company X comes out next week or the week after and says. Well, the reason we missed was in large part because of the strong U.S. dollar. As investors, should we largely go along with that, or are there occasions where you're just sort of looking at that and saying, "No, I think you're using the currency environment to hide the fact that you just didn't get it done." Yeah, I, I want to look more and see what else has gone wrong. If if I can eliminate, if if I can go down the list, and, it, and it's sometimes it's easier. In other cases than others, but if I can eliminate those things that yeah you know maybe the business doesn't look like it's actually performing well, if I or or there's been some questionable decisions or or what have you, then I'll say okay yeah that's fine and if it is the currency then again, you can't predict that it. it'll it'll bounce around over coming quarters it's fine, but you know yeah I'm gonna want to go through and say yeah maybe maybe there's something else here maybe you are using an excuse but I mean everybody's got the numbers they're they're giving you their numbers. In U.S. dollars, and they're giving you their numbers in constant currency. And if a company says, you know, we improved sales by two percent, and in constant currency six percent, that gives you enough information to know on the business side how they're doing. There's only so much they can do. They can hedge, but you want to know operationally how much are you growing. And if you're growing, look, a lot of companies grew uh, numbers at a faster pace than really should have been. Uh, given credit for when currency was, was working the for way. them, yep. and now you see that unwinding. And, and we were talking yesterday about IBM and how IBM, you know, I think in there, I'm going to butcher the numbers, but I think I'm in the ballpark. Revenue was down high teens, but they claimed, you know, oh, but in constant currency it was only down one percent, and yet you saw how the stock reacted and how the stock has reacted over the past year. That's indicative of there are problems at IBM that the market doesn't think are getting fixed. So they can tout the constant currency basis all they want, as Bill says, but the market as a whole has the story. There's a problem here. A couple of automakers in the headlines: General Motors, flat out crushing their third quarter uh, revenue higher than expected, profit much higher than expected, and somewhere in Sydney, Australia, Joe Mager is smiling. <laughs> um, and Ferrari went public today, spun off from Fiat Chrysler. 
goes public at $52 a share, immediately pops about 17%, and lo and behold, Ferrari is now a $10 billion standalone company. I'll, I'll address Ferrari. I'll take the under, you know, on, <laughs> on an IPO day. I think the automakers have gotten their acts together in a better way, uh, with the exception of Volkswagen. Um, so that there is. They were very good at what they were doing. It was just fraudulent. Uh, yeah, yeah. They really. <laughs> I, I think Ferrari will not be uh, have trouble like that. Certainly. Uh, you certainly would have cleaned up any, any problem that you could before going public. But on an IPO day, I look back. I think I was on the podcast one day when you know, GoPro had had come out, or just a day or two after. And you know, things that are in the headlines take off uh, for supply and demand reasons. On a small amount of stock suddenly available. A lot of people see it. They can't actually buy a Ferrari, but they can buy shares in Ferrari, perhaps, and that just drives the price up. And it's not a permanent thing. In the case of some IPOs, I will say I haven't looked at Ferrari's numbers, and I imagine there are some investors out there today who have and are buying, but I think there are some who have not and are buying. And I would beware of uh, trying to join a crowd like that. You got to give credit though to uh, Sergio Marchionne for the way that. I mean, if you're Fiat Chrysler, you're happy with how this went down. Mm-hmm. They've got they've retained a good chunk of the shares though too. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see how long they hold on to those. General Motors looks like 2015 is going a whole lot better than 2014 did. Mm-hmm. They're up what six percent? Six percent on some pretty strong numbers. Blew it out. Um, I don't know what to say about GM. I well, mean, I mean, it's, it's they're not. Uh, they're not recalling I, millions. They're of not. Vehicles. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah there's, there's no steering column failures. I mean, they seem to. Yeah, they seem to have got their act together. And as you said, Joe Mager's probably he recommended them. I think in the low twenties in inside value back in the day, and it's it's done pretty well. Very slow change, but it's done pretty well since then. So. And the guidance from management um, is, you know, I mean, this. If, we are past if, our recall costs. Well, so. I, I don't think they're completely past them, but I, th- I think if we take Mary Barr and her team at, at, at face value, they're they're saying that the numbers they just put up are not a one-time blip. Mm-hmm. They're 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 guiding for more growth in North America, which you know, I don't know. But neither of these stocks. I mean, if I could give you ten shares of you know or <laughs> of each, maybe not ten shares, a thousand dollars worth of each Ferrari and GM, you're not. At, at this minute's prices, this minute's? I'd, I'd take GM. Oh yeah, right? yeah, in a heartbeat. Uh, but can, the, I, can I sell the Ferrari and buy more GM? You if, know, I, if we're doing a false stack auto. One thing that is helping GM today is continued low interest rates, and I think low interest rates, as far as the eye can see, and that is good for automakers. And I think they are benefiting from it, and uh, as are many, many other companies. But uh, it makes it that much easier to purchase. Uh, you've got the same dynamic going on with homes, of course, uh, to an even greater degree. Uh, and there are big chunks of the American economy which are very healthy at the moment. All right. I'm sure at least a couple of our listeners have been waiting for us just to get to Back to the Future. So get to the point. Just get to, get the, to the point. Get, back to the Future. Let's, yeah, forget all the earnings stuff. Let's talk about Back to the Future. Uh, I, I like to think that anyone listening has. Seen or is at least familiar with Back to the Future, but for those who are not, just in a nutshell, uh, the movie comes out in 1985. Uh, Michael J. Fox 
whose friend, uh, played by Christopher Lloyd, uh, Doc Brown, invents a time machine out of a DeLorean. Got to go. Got to go in style. Exactly. And um, ends up going back in time 30 years to 1955. Uh, and the way the movie ends is Doc Brown has gone 30 years into the future, into the far future of 2015. And that's, of course, where much of the sequel takes place. Is uh, Back to the Future 2 is Doc coming and getting Marty and saying, you, we got to go to the future. you got to go to 2015 and see what happens there. Uh, so, there's been a lot in the news about this date, because this is the date they, they travel to, October 21st, 2015. And some, some of the stuff in the movie that was predicted, you know, not, not too far off. Video conferencing, that's, that's pretty much worked out, as was predicted in the sequel. Flying cars, no. Hoverboards. Hoverboards, Self-tying no. laces. Chicago Cubs <laughs> winning the World Series this year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, less of a long shot than you would have thought. They're not out of the playoffs, yeah. but, but it's not looking good for the Cubbies. Um, but from an investing standpoint, uh, as I emailed you guys this morning, think, let's think 30 years into the future. A company, a stock you're buying today, you are holding for 30 years. You cannot sell it until 2045. What are you going with, Bill Barker? All right. I, I wrote an article about this type of question 10 years ago and, uh, and about movies and about movie predictions for the future. And I sent it to you guys, and you probably didn't read it. Did that you? is correct. I, I read, I skimmed it. <laughs> but it was pretty solid. I, I, it which was. I don't it, actually it usually well you yes, know, give myself credit for. But uh, it, in part, the reason that it works is that it uses. As its data set, um, the movie lines from the 100 best movie lines, according to uh, the AFI. American Film Institute. American Film Institute. And five of them came from movies which were predictions about the future, including Terminator, Mm -hmm. Soylent Green, and... I can't remember what the other Planet ones were. of the Apes, Planet of the Apes, Terminator Two, and Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. Right, and I all these movies predict a future roughly thirty to fifty years, and it's radically different from what you're seeing and living right now. And the reality is that things don't change that fast. And uh, one of the proofs of that, uh, looking back the other way, is that you can turn on and you can watch on TV Land or anywhere a show f- set thirty years ago. And it basically looks like modern, you know, it, it looks basically the same. Sitcom from less 30 iPhones. years ago is less iPhones. There are many big differences, <laughs> but there are a whole, a whole lot of similarities. And 30 years from now, I'll tell you what I would buy if I could only buy one thing, and I had to put all my money into it and wasn't allowed to sell it for 30 years. And I think it would be uh, Hershey. Uh, because when you look at what performs well over really long periods of time, uh, the best performing sector over almost any multi-decade period of time is tobacco. Now, I'm going to take the under on tobacco over the next 30 years. But if 30 years ago, it looked bleak for tobacco. And it's still done really well uh, over the last 30 years. But I would would take food, and I would take Hershey uh, in particular, because it's a very well-run company. You've got to feel good about uh, the fact that the majority of the ownership is an orphanage. 
um, which is a little-known story that Milton Hershey gave sort of all of his money to establish a, an orphanage in, in, in Hershey stock, and it's still uh, the largest owner, and it's got the, I think, uh, like the fifth or sixth largest endowment, in, including universities. Uh, it's right up there with, with the big-name universities because they've held on to their stock, and they've done great. And, and think about chocolate. The things that are changing in in groceries to a large degree uh, are private label stuff. Have you ever bought like generic chocolate? Yes, you yes. have. Yes, yeah. yes. Yep. yes. You are the two I, people I, who I have done do it. it again. No, no, it's no, unbelievably no. small percentage of of no. uh, confectionery sales. Generic label chocolate chips. Safeway Safeway chocolate. And that's a mistake. It is yeah. a mistake because if you're doing it for any kind of cooking and you try to melt with it, it just turns into some kind of plastic goo substance. It's horrible. Yeah. So, I mean, the chocolate in particular and confectionery in general does the branded stuff. I mean, you you look at the list of Hershey's names and the brands they have and uh, you know whether it's York or Reese's, it's the same Halloween candy that you got mm-hmm. 40 years ago or, you know, However old you are, I don't want to. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> My prediction is forty years from now. Uh, although the the costumes used at the time will outrage us even more than they do today, uh, the, the candy will be the same. Hershey, okay, you're holding Hershey until twenty forty five. Um, I put this out on Twitter last night on the Market Foolery Twitter feed, and some of the listeners weighed in with uh, companies like Markel, Tesla Motors, Netflix, and Medtronic. Health has been a great industry in general, um, and with an aging population, I, I like Medtronic. Uh, there, if I'm only allowed one thing, though, I want it to be a very, very high percentage bet. And Tesla might rule the world in 30 years, or they may have found that they have gone the way of DeLorean? just about every other car <laughs> maker. DeLorean. Where's DeLorean today? I hope they're successful and they're off to a great start. And I think that uh, you know electric cars are going to be much bigger in 30 years than they are today but I, I wouldn't put all of my eggs in that basket I, I, I just I, I'm, I'm reminded of a few years ago I want to say it was maybe 2010 when I had the opportunity to interview Alan Mulally who um, at the time was CEO of Ford Motor and prior to that he was an executive and had uh, the bulk of his professional career at Boeing and I thought, okay, well, here's a leader at Boeing, a, the leader at Ford Motor. Who better than Alan Mulally to weigh in on the topic of flying cars? <laughs> and so I said, look, <laughs> when are we getting them? When, I said, and I put it as a buy, seller, hold. I said, buy, seller, hold flying cars by the end of this century. And he said, sell. And I, I was like, wait a minute. I'm so disappointed. I'm giving you 90 years. I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm just saying. At any point in the next 90 years, we're not going to get flying cars? And again, I think he's staggeringly well qualified to answer the question, which made me all the more disappointed that the answer was no. What are you holding until 2045? Um, I gave this a lot of thought, 30 seconds or so. Um, very similar to what Bill was talking about. You want something that uh, that you know can kind of is going to is going to be in demand in 30 years and look a lot like what we have today. Uh, thought about your Starbucks because of their dominance, but you know, they're pretty big. How much bigger are they going to get? Uh, Disney owns childhood, but you know, they already own childhood. How many more childhoods can they own? 
Um, That's kind of a dark well, way of putting I'm, it. I'm just saying, you know, I mean. <laughs> is that I, the corporate slogan over there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I miss that. How many more times? <laughs> we have your Star childhood. They own Marvel. Is, is, that, is that what you, you walk have a under? Princesses? Is there like an arch at Disney World that you like? <laughs> we own your soul. <laughs> we own your childhood. Um, I thought about a small little Canadian company that's in the restaurant space, but I'm going to hold off on that. Uh, I'm going to go for the, uh, I'm going to go a little bit in the tobacco area where Bill was. Because again, tobacco, yes, it's big evil and we get it, but has performed extraordinarily well for, for far longer than anyone ever thought. And my pick, which will get me hated by a good number of my uh, green-loving friends back home, is Monsanto. You know, because they basically own food. Corn and soy are the two biggest genetically modified crops. We are using those as... Uh, basically food products and food building blocks now in any number of anything you buy from the grocery store, essentially, unless you're cooking yourself and, and making food yourself, which I encourage, but let's face it, most people don't do. Uh, they are continually fighting that battle of engineering seeds as uh, Roundup resistance or as a herbicide resistance comes online against them, and they have been winning it, essentially. The stock has suffered, frankly, over the past six six to nine months, going from about $130 to $90 today. Uh, it's not expensive at all. And they do keep on growing their earnings and getting things done to the extent of what tobacco has done. Tobacco stayed at a low multiple for three decades, but continued getting very strong cash performance. And like tobacco, I think food is something that we are probably going to be, you know, to, tobacco, the knock on tobacco was, of course, that the longer, you know, you, you, you are addicting your, your customers, which from a very cynical point of view, from an investment point of view, and say, okay, that's actually a good thing, isn't it? If I'm an investor here, uh, Monsanto got to feed ever, ever larger, larger number of people in the world. That's right up Monsanto's alley. So for 30 years, I could do that. Corporate slogan there, Monsanto, not quite as bad as tobacco. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Big evil. Or Disney, e evil we own your two. childhood. <laughs> and, and you're pitting that against Hershey, who everybody in the world roots for. Actually, that's not true. Almost <laughs> almost the entire world can't stand the taste of Hershey chocolate. Well, but, but yeah, this is a very dark show all of a sudden. <laughs> you took the, us there, I my know, friend. I know. The Chinese do not have the same uh, bias against the taste of Hershey's that Europeans do. So there, there is more hope for Hershey's becoming more of a global player than, than had been the case. 10, See, and I am going to go with Starbucks because uh, when I, uh, kind of like Hershey, uh, I don't see coffee being disrupted. You know, in the way that any number of no. technologies can be disrupted, it's going to be, and soy it's going be, be mandated by the government soon. <laughs> there should be like the the recommended daily allowance of uh, you know of your fiber or your vitamin. Their coffee. I mean, every study that I've ever chosen to read indicates that <laughs> coffee is about the healthiest thing that you can that you can drink. That it cures. And Almost the more you everything. drink, the healthier you are, right? If if the articles that I have are am putting my faith into are right in any way, given the amount of coffee that I drink, there's no way I can get Alzheimer's. I mean, you joke, but I mean, it is pretty much almost like clockwork, where every six months you're forwarding me another study that has been done by some European <laughs> institute, where it's like, oh look, now coffee cures this, or 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 this disease is reduced in people who are drinking a whole lot of coffee every day. It's the it's the wonder drug. 
given the amount of and delicious. I'm not going to <laughs> good. Not going good to you. go against that. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay. I'm guessing your word was disintermediation. Yes. And was your word tertiary? It was. Wow. Oh, I nailed wow. it. Wow. 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 Okay. Well done. Thank you. <laughs>